John, the big get, Aaron Andrews. And we're going to wrap up the baseball season. We're going to talk everything media, Peacock, Apple, RSNs, and of course, the World Series and Joe Davis. Kyle Tucker, this time they finish the job. The Houston Astros, world champions. And we're back, the Marshan and Oran Sports Media Podcast. I'm Andrew Marshan, sports media columnist for the New York Post. He's John Oran. Our good buddy there, John Arad. The media reporter for the Sports Business Journal. John, the big get, Aaron Andrews. That's coming up in a little bit. She was really good going into her whole career. I didn't realize. We'll, we'll let you hear it. But she started her career, her big-time career, at one network, not ESPN. I didn't even realize. It's kind of like, to me, like Richie Cunningham having a brother. That's what it was like <laughs> finding out about uh, this Aaron Andrews' two-year spot that uh, with another network that I, I, I did research. I didn't even realize it. And he and I have been following her career forever. Yeah, I know. I thought she started at an RSN down in Florida. So that 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 that's a good interview. But let's get right into it. Who's up? Who's down? Who's up? Who's down? Andrew, lead us off. My who's up? James Brown of CBS Sports. And credit to CBS and the NFL today because they directly took on the Kyrie. Irving situation, the Kanye West situation with what's going on with anti-Semitism and hate in this country. Uh, now, they didn't directly say uh, anything about Irving or Kanye, but James Brown had an excellent, excellent commentary on Sunday during the NFL today. Uh, and here's just a bit of it. We all know the championships are overwhelmingly won by those who display teamwork and togetherness. But there is a serious threat to that principle today with the frightening rise in anti-Semitism, in particular, hate in general. And we're seeing that contagion, not just in sports, but music, politics, and across society. Folks, hate is a disease. It is a virus that spreads and kills. Now, to cast doubt on or state definitively that the Holocaust did not happen that's as hurtful and wrong as saying the lynching of black people didn't happen or that being enslaved was a choice. Now, look, it's very important for people to speak out on these issues, uh, especially when they're respected like Brown is. Uh, and uh, and I think you know, the NFL today could have looked at that and said, you know, we're not going to do this. This isn't the this isn't the NFL. Uh, you know, and we're not we're in sports. We're not in entertainment. And they didn't. They let James Brown uh, say what he needed to say. And I really we'll, we'll talk about more of this in a little bit. There's really no other side to these issues uh, when you're talking about prejudice, uh, when you talk about racism, when you talk about sexism, uh, when you talk about anti-Semitism and any other type of prejudice. And I thought it was a really good job by uh, CBS, the NFL Today and James Brown. I agree. That would what could have been my who's up easily. My who's up, though, it's going to Pete Pavacqua who is uh, the chairman over at the NBC Sports. A story, Andrew, that I think flew under the radar a little bit. Uh, we wrote about it in Sports Business Journal. Rick Cordella, who is a digital maven over at, at NBC, uh, several years ago, he moved over to Peacock to help build up Peacock, and he worked uh, over at Peacock. Well, just, uh, just last week, NBC Sports brought him back over. He is president of programming at NBC Sports, and the reason why... Pete Bavacqua is my who's up, is that this 
takes uh, Pete Pavacqua's Empire at uh, NBC Sports and it starts to expand it over in, in, into Peacock. Peacock had operated sort of as its own fiefdom, but now anything sports that's going on Peacock is going through Bavacqua much more directly than it has in the past. In the past, of course, he had some sort of say in it. But this is also showing, Andrew, that every single deal that these legacy media companies make have some sort of streaming component uh, associated with it. So of course, they need to have more of a say in what goes on with Peacock. And I think that this move certainly uh, shows that. I love when you bring up media empires that just it's so intriguing for the future what will Bavakwa do with his media empire now it's all on his shoulders uh they've, they've done some big deals you know recently with uh sunday night uh of course and then re-upping the premier league uh wrestling uh as well with the wwe yeah and you know over at nbc universal now though Pete Bavacqua, he he was already a big executive over there. It's just uh, he he has a bigger power base, and he and he's much more influential in, within the halls. Right, of quick one, universe. quick one. All right, and you don't have to answer if you don't want to. Who has the biggest empire? Sean McManus at CBS, Jimmy Pitaro at ESPN, Eric Shanks uh, at um, at Fox, uh, Pete Bavacqua at NBC. Uh, you can throw anybody else in there that you want. Uh, who has the biggest empire? I'm going with Pitaro. Yeah, I'd probably go with Pitaro. I mean, ESPN and Disney and, and ESPN has how many linear channels and ESPN Plus. And uh, uh, I'm going to get a lot of emails off that one, though. So thank you. Andrew. You're welcome. You're welcome. I, I agreed. The empire strikes back. ESPN's <laughs> evil empire. So there you go. All right. Well, now that I'm in trouble with uh, Fox, CBS and NBC, Andrew, why don't you go with who's down? My who's down is Jeff Bezos and Amazon. It's been utterly pathetic to watch how Amazon has handled the documentary uh, that Kyrie Irving promoted uh, that was on their platform. You know, just for people who don't know, Irving's been suspended after tweeting out uh, a link to a documentary that, among other things, claims the Holocaust, where six million Jews died, did not happen. Um, and Irving probably, if he had just apologized right away, said he was wrong, could still be playing. Instead, he was hesitant to apologize and never really went fully into um, saying he's sorry until after he was suspended. Now he's going to be suspended at least five games until he there's a checklist that he has to uh, complete. If he ever does that, uh, he could come back. Uh, knowing Kyrie, I'm not sure that will happen. Uh, meanwhile, though, and let me just say this, and I, Kyrie deserves everything he's getting uh, for this, uh, but he just tweeted it. He had no comments. So just understand that when I say this. This is on Amazon Prime Video's platform. They've been completely silent on it. I sent message after message to them to try to understand their um, their stance on this. They don't respond to that. I even asked um, who was in charge of of selling anti-Semitic documentaries, if I could speak to that person. Um, and so Jeff Bezos uh, has a deal with the NBA already. They're doing games in Brazil, among other things. In a couple of years, Amazon uh, very likely could be getting NBA games here in the United States. Jeff Bezos uh, reportedly wants to um, buy the Washington football team, the commanders. Uh, these are fair questions. Why do you have this on? Amazon is not a mom and pop shop. And I get it. These questions about what you are going to publish and what you aren't, they're very tricky because some things are 
balls and strikes, you know, where you're calling, you're making calls about certain issues that it can, a fair-minded person might look at things differently. This is not one of those cases. And Amazon's silence, especially when you look how Kyrie has been treated, is to me embarrassing and pathetic. And I get it, they're a difficult spot, but this is a company that has a market that's close to a trillion dollars. They have the money to do this. They can't just wash their hands and say, oh, we just published stuff and we have nothing to do with it. They're a brand that is known for being able to distribute products better than anybody maybe in history. It's an amazing brand. I like what they're doing in sports. This to me is embarrassing because not only are they giving light to this type of thought, but they can distribute ideas as well as products just as easily because just as a click of a button, and we've seen it after the Kyrie uh, tweet, people can have access to this. And people, what the internet does, it allows people to form groups much more easily. And that means hate groups can form much more easily. And this is a way, and this is why Kyrie was so irresponsible, but Amazon is also irresponsible and they also need to do something. Now we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. And I do think things were kind of in motion, even though Amazon doesn't really have any statements or anything, maybe they're going to change their stance on it. And I get it. Some of the stuff can be a slippery slope, but it's pathetic and embarrassing from Amazon. Andrew, we have this on our list of topics for later in the show, but let's just get to it now. Uh, please go to the what, newyorkpost.com. Uh, uh, Andrew wrote a, a great editorial on, on this that, that's really worth reading. Really nice job on that. If Amazon does uh, end up taking that down, taking that movie down, um, what took them so long? I mean, it, it's it's been, I, I don't even know how long it's been up, but it's been up for a full week since this has been a uh, controversy that's been going. And all of these companies, uh, you're seeing it with Elon Musk and Twitter. You're seeing it with Amazon. I mean, you're seeing it with every social media company that just wants to have sort of free speech, which is, so, you know, what newspapers are all did. And you know, there has to be some sort of editorial uh, qualities, uh, editorial assurances to where these types of uh, movies are just outright lies. Uh, the Holocaust happened. You know, the, 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 to say it didn't happen and then to pr promote it on your own platforms, it's, it, it is. It's just irresponsible. And it's especially irresponsible for a, a company that's worth $3 trillion. Exactly. And here's the thing. First off, let me credit Jay Williams, who you know said this initially on ESPN, you know, shortly after all this uh, happened. Uh, so he deserves some credit for having that opinion very quickly. Uh, it was a fair point. And I kind of waited. Like, maybe they're going to do something. Like, let's see, are they going to do something? Give them, you know, giving them a little time. And then they still hadn't, uh, you know, a week later, uh, you know, where they're still kind of dragging their feet. Uh, this isn't all sides. And here's the thing. So, and I had this discussion with one of my editors about it. So in theory, you could have these types of books or documentaries out there right? In, in a non-digital world. Because back then, if John Oran, you know, wanted to check this out, it took a lot of effort to, to get it, right? You'd have to find who had it. Is it in a bookstore? Is it a documentary? Is that a library, right? Access to it. Now, and this is the beauty of Amazon for a lot of things, getting paper towels and everything else that you want. It's just that a one click away. Now it's so easy for anybody in the world to buy this documentary. And Kyrie has made it so more people knew about it, but it's on Amazon's um, platform. And when you do that, it spreads hate, right? And it's not just a this issue, it's for any issue. And, and so 
that's number one. Number two, let's talk about the business aspect of it for Amazon. These platforms, you need to be, it needs to be a higher level for Amazon as opposed to some other like just website or chat room that's just sort of out there where it doesn't have as many people going to it and it doesn't have as big a forum. Now they could argue, well, nobody really knew about this until Kyrie Irving was, um, you know, promoted it and it wasn't a big deal. Yeah, but the problem is, if you are presenting yourself as a store, a digital store, you're selling this. Like imagine going in to Barnes and Nobles and they had this documentary out there, you know, or sold it. There's a section. This is, you know, a Holocaust denying section. Would that be okay? I, I don't think how anybody, Jeff Bezos, Andy Jassy, the CEO of Amazon, how anybody would say that's okay. And I get it. They want to avoid calling balls and strikes because then you get into different issues that aren't as cut and dry perhaps as the Holocaust happening or not. But sorry, that's what happens when you're a trillion dollar company and that's the responsibility that comes with it. And you can't do this like Netflix. You can't just put something on Netflix and they sell it there. And I, I get it. There's another way to make money. And I'm sure most of the films and documentaries are fine, but you have to vet them. They claim, in, at least in Again, they didn't respond to my messages, plural with an S. Um, they didn't respond. They did it. There's a story in the Times where they seemed to, they didn't really respond, but they seemed to have worked with the um, reporter there where, you know, it's implied that that there was some sort of vetting system or there's some AI. This is not AI. This is, you're talking about hate. And I can't go as crazy like, well, people die because of this, perhaps, but it's just, it's not helping society in the least. And you, you, they have a responsibility. And, and this is the same thing with Elon Musk and, and Twitter. He's, he, I think he thinks he can control things. I'm not as opposed to, if you think about it, payment could, if he, the thing he needs to do, in my opinion, if I'm Elon Musk, if you're listening here, you need to have some sort of verification for everybody. And even if there's a payment along with it, where you're actually the person and you have to put your name to it. And if that happens, then you can't just say whatever you want. And then the bots who are, you know, monkey ears, six, seven, nine, that person that will have no value. Right. And that won't show up. Then maybe you have something there in terms of that. And I think that's where we need the lack of, you know, identity of people. They, they need to try to figure that out for Twitter to survive and to thrive and to grow and become better. You know, Andrew, my first job in the business uh, was back in 1990. Uh, writing for the Montgomery County Gazette, uh, which uh, ended up getting bought by the Washington Post. Uh, it's it, I, I was uh, working. I've been working for newspapers and then went into uh, sort of trade publishing from there. Uh, you know, uh, go, going back to 1990, you're now with a, a traditional newspaper, and 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 your whole career has been been spent in journalism. We have seen uh, the the. Uh, internet come in uh, and digital come in and totally disrupt our business. I think that one of the things that I'm seeing with Elon Musk and what what he's doing on Twitter is sort of stuff that I have been uh, I have been seeing in every newsroom I've been in going back to to 1990, which is okay. Let's build a paywall. Let's get that toothpaste bag back in the tube. Let's get you know. Let's verify users and and let's uh, and he's try, trying to throw these things against the wall. Uh, I love Twitter. I'm active on Twitter. I enjoy uh, reading tweets and I enjoy tweeting. I'm not leaving Twitter. Uh, I'm hopeful that he figures out a solution 
to where it 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 remains a you know it's, it's basically a new, my my personalized newsfeed. And I I'm hoping he, he he something happens. My worry is I've seen this before and I've seen this before over 30 years and it's uh and it's not necessarily pretty. No, he's also slashed half the just like newspapers. He slashed just like newspapers. Yeah, we we got to cut staff. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see where that goes. All right. We did that because it was such an awkward transition uh, if we just went to who's down. But now we, you know, from kind of a serious subject when you're talking about anti-Semitism and Amazon and all that. Uh, but let's go back to where we were because they're still important. We got every week we got a who's up, who's down, John. So as we move into baseball, which we're going to talk to as our first official topic, uh, give us your who's down. Well, my who's down, uh, I am going back to the RSN uh, well. Uh, this time it's not Chris Ripley and Sinclair. Uh, it's going to be Crane Kenny, who is the president of the Cubs, who launched, get this timing, uh, Andrew, the Cubs launched their uh, regional sports network, Marquee Sports Network, in February of 2020. So they were already taking a, a leap because of cord cutting, uh, you know, getting, getting rid of subscribers, and they ended up launching a, a, a month before the pandemic hit. Chicago Tribune's Robert Chanick had a good story in, uh, on Marquis's problems this week. Uh, he wrote, quote, things haven't gone exactly as planned, which uh, I think is a bit of an understatement. Uh, the team has been, uh, since the launch, the team has been awful on the field. Believe me, as an Oriole fan, I know awful on the field. Uh, and viewership is down 56%. Uh, Chanick quotes Crane Kenny is saying uh, that, quote, we launched into a headwind. Uh, the Cubs are looking, it's like Elon Musk, they're looking at everything, like how, how can we start to get the uh, money back? Uh, the likelihood is they're going to have some sort of streaming uh, service, a direct-to-consumer service coming next year at some point. Marquee Sports Network, to me, is, is a, a, a perfect example of the problems that RSNs are having uh, in, in, in the current market, and there are no easy answers for the Cubs, Marquee, or Crane Keddy, who is my who's down. Yeah, and that brings us right into our first topic, which is going over the whole baseball season uh, from the World Series with Joe Davis making his debut in place of uh, Joe Buck on that big stage, and then Apple, Peacock, Amazon with the Yankees on Friday night, and then the RSN Future. Let's start with the World Series. Joe Davis, in my newsletter on Mondays, I did a full review of Joe Davis. In my newsletter in New York Post Sports Plus, every Monday morning, you can get that. Uh, I gave Joe a 4.1 out of five clickers, which is an excellent score for a debut. Biggest reason why, the big calls. Uh, he nailed them. He has a great ability of saying few words, but saying something and putting a headline and kind of telling that story. Uh, that's a skill that... He's really shown at a young age, only 34, but he is, it's his big job, so he should be able to do this. Um, for propensity uh, to hit those words. At the end of this podcast, our call of the week, uh, maybe the best bit of television of this year um, in game three with Bryce Harper hitting a home run and the Fox just hitting it out of the park themselves. Uh, so Joe Davis, here's the thing. You don't want to be the story your first World Series, Joe Davis was not the story. Again, you go on Twitter, you'll find people who loved him. You'll find people who didn't like him. Some people want Joe Buck back. Other people are happy Joe Davis is there. Whatever, you can find it. 
but it's not the theme. We're not going out of that. Do I think Adam Amin and Jason Benetti could have done this job as well, if not better? Maybe. I'm not really ready to say Joe Davis is the best guy, but but that that said, that sounds like I'm being negative. I'm not. Like high marks for Joe Davis. He did a very good job. He hit the big calls. Innings two through eight. Smoltz is a little bit of the issue there. He's very much. I had a Twitter follower give a great summary of Smoltz. His name's Sal Laban uh, on Twitter. Uh, he said uh, that with people who don't like Smoltz, he's an analyst. They're looking for a color commentator. And uh, I think that's a great, very good point. He analyzes every pitch and it's kind of dry. And so, you know, Davis is a little bit more on the dry side. So you don't really have the big, you know, usually like Summerall Madden, you had the, you know, very dry Summerall and Madden with the big personality. And that kind of what really works at yin and yang there. You gave a 4.1. Uh, I'm an easier grader than you. I, I gave a, a 4.5. And part of it is, I've been doing the pod with you for a little more than a year now, Andrew. And what is it that you always say? You don't want to go into a party and immediately be like, you know, this real big joke, big personality. Uh, I've heard Joe Davis call local games uh, for for the Dodgers, and he has a sense of humor. Uh, and you couldn't see that at all during during the World Series because he kind of he, he kind of came in. This was his intro. Uh, really to, to, to a big national baseball audience. He met Smoltz. He didn't sort of overshadow Smoltz and he didn't, it was, certainly wasn't under Smoltz. And he had what I thought was a, um, a really professional debut, which is why I, I, I rated him higher. I'm sure as the years go on, I mean, he, he's, that, that sense of humor is going to come out, that personality. You, you couldn't really get a sense of, of his personality, I think, during the World Series. He was He was calling it, and, and, and for, for, for my money, you said this already, he met every single big call uh, the, uh, on the World Series. And if, if I'm Joe Davis, I'm, I'm plenty happy with, uh, with, with that start. All right, let's review the rest of the baseball season and look forward. Okay, kind of goes into each other. Let's first look back. All right, you had the Apple deal, Friday night doubleheaders um, with some crews, um, you know, three-person crews they start out with. Um, and then uh, they pared down a little bit with some of them. Uh, and then you had Peacock Sunday, they had Benetti uh, as their lead play-by-player uh, and then took analysts from uh, each of the teams. And then Amazon on Friday nights became a big deal, especially around Aaron Judge uh, and, and Apple uh, with uh, the Friday night games that they had with the Yankees and Apple having the Judge game. Give me, you want to do grades? You willing to do grades here or no? I don't know if I'm going to do grades because they're different perspectives. For no, no, each. not overall grade. I'm saying each one. No, no, no. I know they're different. But like, like, so, all right, so, fine. What's so, your thought? So, let me let, let me look, make, make I, it I, All right. So, so I just thoughts? know this because I've been talking to you now for, for a year. You hate Apple and you hate Apple's uh, Friday I night. I think that Apple achieved pretty close to what uh, uh, baseball wanted. It, uh, it, it, it provided games uh, to a new uh, audience of potential uh, potential cord cutters that didn't have access to the games um it, it was uh, how many times were the yankees on there twice maybe and I maybe think once bad, maybe. two or at least no. two right three well okay two so you were able as a yankee fan in in new york you're able to see 160 yankee games you know if you have to uh, go and, and and take a look at Apple TV Plus, where it was available for free, and you know, All right, I got. I don't want to do this. I just talked a lot, but I have to. I have to challenge here. How many people watch those games? 
we have no idea. We don't know. That's, I've heard the that's numbers. Right? I've heard the numbers, know. but not not enough to go with. That said, we we're can't both, say we're, we're, we can't we're say both pretty reached... certain that the number is low. Yeah. Okay, so we can't say they reached a new audience when we don't know what that audience is. It was available to a new audience in a different way, but we don't know how many people actually watched. On the surface, a double header with local teams playing in every other market on Fridays makes zero sense in terms of getting a big audience, correct? Uh, You're not going to get anybody out of market. Friday night, Phillies, Orioles. You're getting Phillies fans and Orioles fans. And a lot of people probably passing because it's too much of a hassle. Again, I'm not saying baseball shouldn't do this. I'm not saying that you don't have to start this way and you need the friction to make it work. If there's no friction and if it's on your RSN, nobody's going to check it out. They tried that sometimes. It doesn't work because people just watch it on their local RSN and then, oh, great, it's on a new service. So you do need that friction. Look, the broadcast booth we've gone over, that was an issue, right? I, you know, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse on that one, but uh, that was an issue. I'm sure that's going to change for next year uh, in some regards. But I don't know how much, I, I'm not so sure it's going to change. I think it's going to change, but I don't, I don't think we're going to see a traditional baseball telecast on, on Apple. I do think that they want to cater to something a little bit different. And I think for a guy that used to be a beat reporter and is a big baseball fan, you're going to hate it no matter like that goes to the certain. fundamental okay and I we we've talked about this but that goes to the fundamental like of who is actually going to watch this you, your <laughs> your your premise was like they're going to find new people my premise would be actually it's the opposite when you talk about streaming services my premise because was you have to find, find it you have to find my, my, it it doesn't find you even tv when you're flipping around you find it this you have to find now. Grin Apple. I don't know. I gotta learn how to take this off my phone. They give me. They're always popping up, and every game's close. You watch this game, that game, and I guess that's the plan with MLS, maybe for next year. But like, I don't know. It doesn't really. It's like okay, that's good to know. And every no, once in a while, know, maybe my, I'll my, my premise on Apple is that it was an acceptable test for one out of 162 games, or potentially two out of 162 games, and and that it, it, it's good for baseball to uh, be in business with Apple on, on a live series, considering where the whole market is going. All right, Peacock, what did you think of that? I know that baseball, I only watched Peacock once when the Orioles uh, happened to be on it. Um, uh, I, I know that baseball really liked the idea of a new window that they can get, uh, that, that they can get games in, especially on Sunday morning. Um, one of the things uh, I like, we had Rob Manfred, uh, I, I interviewed at the uh, World Congress uh, the, uh, the other week. And he, um, he, he just talked about like, you know, Sunday is getaway day. And just having those games end earlier is easier on the players of players like them. Uh, the fans, I don't know if the fans like them. We, we didn't even see, we haven't seen um, viewership uh, figures over uh, for Peacock as well. But they really did like the new window, the production where they used, you know, uh, RSN talent from the different markets fits in more. I mean, I'm also a big baseball fan, so it fits in more with how we like to like to watch. So we like certainly like the production more than Apple, but it was a, it was sort of like an NBC sports production. Um, uh, so I, I know that baseball liked it and, and they want to continue that. If you look at the Vivacqua empire, uh, th that window, they've had success with soccer. 
Uh, and I think it was good. I give, that's the one I like. I like the deal and how that was put together. That was really smart. Um, I thought that was something where they thought outside the box and they really got to a place where, again, I don't know that I probably didn't do huge numbers either, but just speaking from someone who's really been close to baseball as someone who's covered it for a long time, but you know, besides media, uh, it does make some sense. Uh, especially if you have a day game Saturday. Um, and I could see the players really liking that. That's a good point about them really enjoying the getaway days because they hate Sunday night baseball because of that issue, right? You're late and then you have to travel someplace. It's a real problem because you're getting to the next city, no matter if it's a charter, but you're getting to the next city at best at four in the morning, maybe three, sometimes five, if you go West Coast. So that causes all kinds of problems. One other thing about this, Andrew, is, is that look at the RSNs and look at the ratings and look at like the court cutting. There, It's not a healthy uh, business right now. Uh, and, and this is baseball doing things differently to try to like seed Apple TV Plus and seed uh, uh, Peacock. And so I applaud them for that. You're in the New York market. I didn't see a lot of this. I didn't see any of it actually, but uh, a lot of Yankee games were on Amazon. How did that work out? Yeah, so if you, generally Friday night, when I had that story, I wrote that story before the season, people went crazy about the fact that Friday night games are gonna be on Amazon. Um, look, I like what Amazon did with this because it's the Yankees, right? Top franchise in baseball. Um, it's local, it's sticky. And can they, the, the question I have, and I've asked people at Amazon this, and I think they will try to do is, can you recreate that in other big markets, right? Do you try to do that? Um, you know, I don't want to just throw out names because I'd have to see what the ownerships are exactly, who owns what, but can you do it in other big markets? And is that another way to help their prime business? This is the difference like to me between what Apple did and what Amazon did. You can, when you give friction, yes, people are gonna be annoyed at first, but then you have to give value. And I think with the Apple deal in comparison is that you give the friction. And like you said, it's only two or three games. So then you just annoy people, but they don't get long-term. They're not going to use the service long-term because of this. Amazon, if you're in New York and you want to watch all the Yankee games, you're going to need the service on Fridays. It's going to be, become a part of your repertoire. I like how I said repertoire there. I was like very quick on that repertoire because uh, I thought I'd mess it up. Anyways, the Friday... Uh, night game. So I think there's value there. So that made sense to me. And I think long-term, you know, when if people do go direct to consumer, if you're the Yankees, what they're doing smartly is that you've kind of created this. So is there a day where Amazon is just where you find your Yankees and you start with 21 games and you add a little bit more over time? Yes, isn't going anywhere. Yes, is super successful, making a lot of money. And I think, you know, of all the regional sports networks, it might be the one that's best positioned. But it just, I think what they've done, all three of those, it's very smart. Andrew, you had an interesting story uh, about Netflix and sports in, in, in the post. Um you know, I wrote about Netflix. They kicked the tires a little bit, not a serious bid, but they kicked the tires on, on Formula One. You know, they, of course, have um, uh, the Formula One documentary Drive to Survive that's been popular. And, and um, uh, you had them also kicking the tires on the WTA, the Tennis Association. What, what went on with that? Yeah, international rights. I think the negotiations went pretty deep and then ultimately Netflix decided not to do it. So I think when we talk about Netflix, I think maybe five, six years ago, people would mention Amazon, Twitter, Facebook, and Netflix would be put in there. And it was like kind of, if we were doing a podcast, I think we would have been saying, this is not, this doesn't make sense for them. They have no advertising. Well, now they've added advertising. 
and you see where the business is going, uh, you need advertising if you're going to do sports, right? There's just too many windows that you need to, uh, where commercials need to go. Uh, so I think as that business matures, I think Netflix could look at it. And I do believe that, you know, most experts are Michael Nathanson's of the world, even though I, I'm mentioning him, even though I'm not sure he said this, but, but the experts out there who study this stuff, you know, think that there will be three or four uh, streaming platforms that most families will be willing to have, right? You know, on average, obviously it'll change from person to person and family to family and home to home. But when you get to three or four, you know, sports could be a deciding factor. And Netflix is the only one that doesn't have live sports, right? Disney Plus with ESPN Plus, and like we've talked about, the mothership will eventually go streaming. Amazon, um, HBO Max is going to have sports eventually. You shortchanged them last week, you know, that uh, our, our guy Nate smelts ahead there, give you a little call because you just kind of disregarded HBO Max. You want to you address that? Yeah, Nate Smeltz told you that he called me to disagree? Yes, of course. Oh, come on, Nate. That was a personal conversation there. <laughs> no, well, he just told me. No, he wanted you know to give what? me a whole second. He, on behalf of the podcast, he's doing his job, giving me an FYI, just for your I know, information. That's good. That's the future good. that we got a little thing called HBO Max that, you know, that's going to, that's broadening and you know what? discovery. In Nate's defense, I never told him that our call was off the record. So in his, his defense, he was totally, uh, totally legit. It wasn't like it was like a, uh, <laughs> this is my phone call to John no, and repeating. He was actually, no, no, hold on a second. He was actually just telling me that, giving me the insight. And I go, take it up with Orin. All right. It, that's, I need to put out the, I told him, I need to put at the beginning of this podcast that, you know, that these are only my thoughts. I'm not responsible for John's thoughts. Nate was uh, legitimately uh, upset. Uh, well, he, actually, he wasn't upset even. He, he legitimately pointed out, "Hey, wh when I dissed uh, Turner for its, uh, you know, cord cutting and and all the all these cable channels, uh, I'm, I disregarded HBO Max. I disregarded Discovery Plus, and I disregarded especially Bleacher, which is a uh, which, which is really young. So they have a big streaming service, of course." I was talking about a broadcaster, which is, uh, of course, you know, the, um, a mass medium. But I totally take a, take Nate at, at his word on that. Here's here's a problem that I have with Netflix getting into sports. And stop me if you've heard this before. It's the same problem that I have with Amazon getting into sports, and it's the same problem I have with Apple getting into sports. Is I don't see where sports makes them money. I I can understand that they want the sports rights, but you you have these established media companies that are bidding them up. I mean, this is this is the United States more than any international market is a totally mature market where sports rights cost a lot and it costs a, it, it takes a lot to make money off of it. And so, if I was a sports league, I would still be uh, the, the money's there, so I would go after it. But I would still be a little bit concerned that. You know, once I go to Amazon, once Amazon and Apple and Netflix rule the sports world, then all the leverage turns to those big, deep-pocketed tech companies, and 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 you're not going to come back to these, uh, you know, uh, th these cable uh, companies or cable uh, networks that are that today have a lot of money to 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 build up the rights. So it's a it, it's a delicate dance that they have to do right now when it comes to that. All right, let's finish up before we get to Aaron Andrews with this. And this kind of leads into what you just said. Uh, you look at the NFL and what they did. Uh, the NFL uh, 
nothing's really going to change over the next decade, right? Except for the Amazon Thursday night. We're going to be watching the NFL um, basically the same way. Uh, we'll, we'll be able to watch it the same way a decade from now if they don't opt out the NFL. Uh, and then you look at our last topic, and just we'll go quickly before we get to Aaron. Uh, the MLS and Apple starts. MLS Cup was a banger, uh, which means... John for soccer is like a great game. Uh, as we got the World Cup, I get your terms down. Uh, yeah, in football, I think a banger is a sausage, banger and mash, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I play on a soccer team. Actually, I don't know if I should say this. I play on a soccer team, and one of my teammates the other day said to me, um, I want a banger. I said, excuse me? And he just brought his girlfriend last week to the game. And he went, he meant for me, a banger is like a great shot. Uh, you know, the score, like a great shot and a banger. All right. But that's what he said. And I was like, wait, what? And he's like this 28 year old guy. Right. And I was like, all right, well, that was a little much there, but he meant he wanted a banger for me to score. And then I, and then, and then this is the moral of the story. This is the only reason I said this. I scored. Hey, Not a banger. Do, we have video? do we have video of that? I had that one video. It actually is video. There. I could actually make, there is video in this uh, indoor soccer place. So maybe I can rustle that up. Um, all right, last I, thing. I, I have a couple of questions. Is the guy, is the guy British? No, he's not. No, no. He's, he's American. You can't, you can't use that term as an American. Come on. Oh, you can. No, no, no. Well, we'll all find right. out if you can. We'll find out the day after Thanksgiving when England plays the U.S. if we're allowed to use the term or not. We can get a point <laughs> from uh, that game on Fox. There you go, guys. Andrew Fergusi, Eric Shanks and company. Give you a little plug there. That this will help your ratings. If that game, we get a point out of there, either a draw or we get a W, uh, then we can say whatever we want forever. Not listen. Absolutely. I don't even get me started about that stuff. Then, right, then last we, thing, we, we need to get on here. I I know I die sidetracked. MLS Cup, great game. Now goes to Apple. In your mind, it goes into Netherlands. We never hear from uh, the MLS again, or this is going to work. You got a decade of soccer on Apple. A lot of my best sources think it's potentially a disastrous deal for MLS. I love the deal for MLS. I love everything about it. MLS has not been a good TV sport since uh, for, for we're going on more uh, 25 years now. This is a way to, to get MLS. It's it's with Apple. MLS's um, um, fans are young. They're tech savvy. They're uh, maybe maybe this will be the jump start that they need in order to 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 really build a fan base and get that going. I think that the the risk value of MLS doing this deal is very low. Uh, the money was big bigger than they were going to get from linear TV, and I think it's a great deal. All right, bye, John. Joining us now, the big get, Aaron Andrews. Aaron is the lead sideline reporter on Fox Sports' top NFL game each week. She has a podcast, Calm Down with Aaron and Carissa, with Fox and Amazon's Carissa Thompson. And she has her own clothing line, Wear, by Aaron Andrews. Aaron, first off, thanks for joining us. And here's a little-known fact that I don't think a lot of the listeners know, and you might not oh, know. God. This. Oh, God. John, John also has his own clothing line. <laughs> called what is it called john come on well, I, you know what there's a common mistake i am wearing a johnny o shirt but i there, there's no relation andrew to the johnny o absolutely not no. we got to make this happen guys come on actually aaron you were way ahead of the curve though in terms of having your own clothing line now that's kind of the thing to do right brady has his own jeter has his own clothing line you kind of were you know you know, a little before the uh the trend was really hit its stride 
Yeah, I mean, you know, Brady and Jeter followers, obviously. I mean, come on, guys. Um, you no, know, well, Strahan kind of started this out, but I just, you know, noticed after eight years on college game day and obviously being a fan, um, you know, going to the school, going to school in the SEC, knowing how that's basically a religion out there. And then, you know, marrying a hockey player, having to go into pro shops and dress up for games and stuff like that. There was just a huge white space. I'm a big Tom girl or tomboy and um and you know i just kind of felt like what was available was great for a certain audience but you know i'm not really like a pink it shrink it bedazzle kind of gal despite all those years on dancing with the stars and everything so i like like i said tomboy i like a, a jean jacket a bomber like stuff you can wear every how about this guys you'll throw up in your mouth everywhere anywhere you know you don't have to just be at the stadium you can be going to vote today you can be running around uh town and and even though you're you know pulling for the detroit lions after a huge win this past weekend people aren't like whoa super fan they're like wow that's actually pretty stylish so all those years on college game day all those years in gainesville florida and and being a wife of a hockey player, I was like, there's got to be something we can do here to make people look fashionable and also cheer for their team at the same time. Everywhere, anywhere. What a that's spin, huh? Yeah, very good. Totally I, what... I just wanted you to make a joke about John's uh, style, and we got oh. the whole thing. We know everything about pitch. Yeah, I'm trained right. I'm trained well. I do. How many with... years have you had that, though? I am curious about that. So we started in 2019 and uh, kicked some ass. We got thrown into the deep end. We teamed up with Fanatics. Michael Rubin's been a, a major help with all of this. And then, you know, 2020 tried it out in the middle of a pandemic, but thank God we had sports. Thank God fans needed a break from everything that was going on in the world. And now at year four, we have all the major leagues. We just got major league baseball in time for the playoffs. And that's been really awesome. So yeah, it's, uh, I definitely didn't get an education at this going to Florida, learning about how to deal with all this stuff. I've been told a lot by my partners in this industry to relax, calm down, be patient, because I want to go, go, go. Um, but it's been awesome. It's been a really, really cool learning experience. Everywhere, anywhere. That's kind of like what my clothing brand would be, but with a little Obviously. more wrinkles, I think. Yeah. yeah. Aaron, I, I love getting people Cheat like you. all the time. That's what I think <laughs> of your line. we got to figure out how to work that. You know, I'm, I'm writing it down. <laughs> Perfect. I'll, I'll look for your email. Um, I love getting people like you. You're so established on TV now. Uh, what was your first big break? How did that happen? Gosh, I mean, I, I think my first big break, well, obviously I'm thankful because I started in the industry with Turner Sports. I absolutely was horrific on Turner. I um, actually just saw Kenny Smith, Kenny the Jet, um, and at the Rams uh, 49ers game, and I was thinking about that time. They signed me. They saw me as a Tampa Bay Lightning uh, ringside reporter, gave me a big shot two-year deal with TBS and Turner Sports, I was horrific. I basically felt like at the time, my dad is, um, you know, retired now, but uh, uh, Emmy-winning investigative reporter with NBC, and uh, he's just a fantastic writer, something I'll never be like him. But when I got the job with Turner, it was for Atlanta Braves coverage. That's when they were not national with Skip and Joe. And um, they threw me up on that set and I was horrific. I was awful. I remember going home every night, calling my dad from Atlanta, just saying, I'm a joke. I shouldn't have this gig. And my dad's like, we'll work through it. We'll work through it. Uh, they didn't renew my contract. 
Um, I remember Charles Barkley telling the bosses at TBS, you guys are going to regret this. You put her in the wrong role. Um, and then I was kind of looking for a job and ESPN was in town because that's when ESPN had hockey coverage. Um, I know they do now, but that's when they originally had it. And I went to a bar where I knew all the broadcasters were going to be for the Atlanta Thrashers game. And I kind of sold myself and I said, hey, I have a feeling Turner's not going to ask me back. I cut my teeth in the NHL. I'm a diehard sports fan. Who do I go to for a job? And um, I had a meeting three days later with the head of the NHL at ESPN and Todd Bertuzzi had just smashed that player's head into the ice and I started going off about it on the call and he's like, when can you start? I got put on the Western Conference of the NHL Finals, the team that hired me, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning ended up winning it in 04 and I was on the uh, on center ice interviewing the head coach and Marty St. Louis, now the Montreal Canadiens coach. And uh, that was kind of my big break. That was the next day they were offering me a three-year deal with ESPN. And I remember saying, I know you're asking me to do college football, but I really love the NHL. Can I keep doing that? And I'm like, we're offering you Saturday night football. <laughs> so that was kind of it. I'm curious, when, when you say you were terrible with, with Turner, what made you terrible? I was awful. I was horrific. Um, I, I didn't know baseball at all to be hosting a desk. I wasn't, I didn't have the tools to host at that time. Um, I didn't have the confidence. You know, it was a situation where I was working as a, as a ringside reporter. TBS saw me and they offered me this deal. I went and I tried out and um, my dad was kind of, I didn't have even have an agent. My dad was my agent. He just said, this is national coming to call opportunities. Don't come around like this. Uh, let's go take it. It was baptism under fire. I admittedly say I was horrific. I was mispronouncing names. Um, I wasn't keeping up with the highlight. I think I called God love him. Skip Carey, Skip Simpson, Joe Carey one day. It was just awful. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Um, it was just bad. And you know, I appreciate Turner giving me the chance. It obviously led me down a different path. I, I've always loved Charles Barkley for being in my corner, but uh, they were right to move on from me. And then once and it's bad, like it's the, a big ball of momentum that's going. And of course, like college football, your career takes off. Yeah. Uh, and you end up making the move over to Fox. And I'm not sure if this is a question about what's the difference between Fox and ESPN or whether mm -hmm. it's a question about what's the difference between college football and the NFL. But what was the difference when you moved from being such a, a star at ESPN over to being, you know, on the Fox's number one NFL um, broadcast crew? Well, I knew I was never going to get Monday Night Football. That role was just never offered to me. And as I, I, I talked to a lot of people, actually, it was, I forgot who I was just mentioning with this. I, I called Coach K because I was working college basketball, you know, three times a week. I called Chip Kelly because I had done a ton of Oregon games and I was really tight with him. I called Dan Patrick. Um, called Mark Shapiro, who ha had hired me at ESPN. And I just said, you know, what's next? I, I have this opportunity at Fox. The NFL seems glamorous, cool. It's, it's something I haven't done. And I remember Coach K saying to me, how many Alabama LSU games are you going to do? You know, when is it time for you to move on? And um, I remember calling Chip Kelly the night it was announced that I was leaving ESPN and, and I hadn't to told anyone about it. I remember, you know, my, my closest friends there were Kirk Herbstreit, Chris Fowler, Mike Tirico, who had then moved on. I mean, I was doing it, you guys, Thursday night football, Mike Tirico, Kirk Kerbstreet, myself, we were dying about it. We did the we did the Orange Bowl. We did it with Bobby Bowden, Joe Paterno, Penn State. I think it went into three overtimes. I mean, that was our Thursday night crew at one point. That was insane. Um, 
but yeah, I remember calling Chip Kelly that night. It had been announced and I was just bawling. And I was like, I don't know if I made the right, uh, the right decision. I hope I don't regret this. And he's like, don't look back, just look forward. You have to just keep looking forward. And it was absolutely the right decision for me. I am so grateful of my time at ESPN. I really feel like it helped mold me, show me a lot of things. I grew up over there a lot. Just listening to Mike McCarthy talk about how much he grew up in Green Bay. I felt that way about ESPN, but it was time. And, and I think the, the timing was so right for me as well. And when you when you're back with TBS or Turner and TBS and the Braves, you yeah, know, kind of, that's kind of like to me, John. That's kind of like uh, Richie Cunningham's brother when it comes to Aaron's <laughs> career. But actually, I did. First of all, I followed closely, I think. And I did research before this interview. You probably beat me to crap in your articles too. And I deserved it. I'm like, who is this guy? Are you insane? I ruined TBS. Like I ruined the Super Bowl that year, you know? What year was it? Uh, Which part? When I was with the Braves? When you were with the Braves, yeah. God. Well, you did your research. Yeah, I don't know. No, that's what I'm saying. That's not even your, like anywhere. I don't know. I didn't even realize that. That's interesting to me. Here's here's, here's a question. Let's just get into the the business of sideline reporting. Okay. Is it about sideline reporting that you you wish people understood or they don't realize that you, that the people on the sideline that they do, that that we just don't notice that what, what, what would you want them to know? Well, I think a couple of things, you know, and I think the role has evolved for me personally. It's for me not about reading articles people write and then spitting them back up it on air. I get really sensitive about that. Um, I get sensitive if we're on a Zoom with Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or Dak Prescott and they tell us a story that they've already told the media. I want the stuff nobody else knows. And I think a huge part of our job is I got to get this stuff that's happening down on the field, down in the huddles that Kevin and Greg cannot see. I get off on that. I think I am a spy. I mean, I do. I really think I work for the CIA and you know, there's things you have to be careful about, especially with the NFL versus the um, versus college football, because college football, college basketball. I mean, I'd be in huddles with Izzo and Calipari and they would say stuff. And I was like, Oh my God. And you could repeat it, but in the NFL, you cannot, and you will get reprimanded for that. Um, So I like to think the biggest thing I offer is the stuff on the sidelines, the stuff Kevin and Greg can't see, you know, the other day when Aaron goes and grabs the phone and, and gets on the phone, we've never seen him do that. And I said to Richie Zions and Rich, Rich Russo, our director, Aaron's on the phone. I don't know who he's talking to, but he is on the phone. I've never seen him on the phone before. And then I ran to kind of a person that I'm close with on the Packers staff. I'm like, who the hell is he talking to? Well, then we found out Zinovich was upstairs for the first time. So we didn't know that. We hadn't been told that. That was something I got to Greg and Kevin. And, you know, a lot of this stuff, and and I don't mind it, I tell those guys in break or, you know, tell Z, Richie Zions, to tell those guys, and they go with it. I don't need the credit for it. That's not why I'm there. Um, the other thing I think people don't really understand about a sideline reporter is if you are good and you have the connections, you will get a lot of shit down there. And there are teams that trust the hell out of me that will give me a lot of stuff. Packers, Cowboys, 49ers, um, just teams I've been around. And and you have access to a lot of things a lot of other people don't. So a lot of it is about making those connections, having the trust with the athletes, the coaches, the general managers, the training staff, and really just knowing the personnel and what's going on. There's so many little things that'll tip you up that shit's bad. Um, you know, you'll see one of the, the head guys get a, you know, thing like this and it's like, uh-oh, something's happening. He just got word somebody's hurt. You follow him or follow that guy when he gets ready to go talk to Matt LaFleur or Mike McCarthy. 
You saw week one, Mike McCarthy, the trainer goes right up to him and he says, are you effing kidding me? Well, he was telling him about Dak's thumb. It's just shit like that. You can tip off our director, our producer really quick. So they have the shot. And what, um, can you give us an example of when the NFL, when you've maybe went a little too far, maybe you don't do this anymore, mm-hmm. but early in your career where you kind of got in trouble. I haven't. Thank God. Oh, okay. I never haven't. got in trouble. So, you know, Oh my God, why are we even putting that out into the universe? No, 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 I haven't. But I have heard examples. Did you just knock wood, Aaron? Is that what I saw? I'm the most superstitious person. These athletes, they rub off on me, but um, no, I have not. And that is something, I mean, I get chest pains over the other day, you know, um, there was a report I gave on air and before I gave it on air, look, there's a lot of stuff. These coaches, these players tell us and 90% of it, we can't use. And you walk away from these calls and you're like, what the hell did you just get? I can't even use half of this. So there was a moment that was perfect with something that was told to us. And in the break, I said to Kevin and to Greg, do you think so-and-so is going to be pissed? And they were like, absolutely not. And I even got, after I did it, I texted PR and I just said, that was okay, right? That wasn't off limits. And he was like, it's fine. And then even after the game, I followed up and I'm like, you good? And he's like, it's the least of my problems right now. I'm like, okay, great. But no, thankfully nothing yet to piss off the NFL. The one thing I did learn is I think I wore a North Face uh, rain jacket and just like that, New York called and said, put a piece of tape over that North Face. That's not a sponsor. So sorry. (laughs) You wear EA stuff? I can wear EA stuff because I've got the NFL shield, thankfully. There you go. All right. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious about it. I appreciated when you said that you've gained the trust of a a lot of players. I mean, that's basically how reporters do their jobs. They get out there, they gain trust. But there's always a point where you sort of overstep that trust. When when does that happen to you? And and what have you done to to sort of mollify that? You know, I would never want the job of an Adam Schefter. I would never want the job of a Jake Glazer. I just, I would, I would have just feelings of having a stroke all the time. You, you listen, I'm able to have the access because these guys trust me. I don't know. Maybe some of them, I've, I've had a few, well, there's been a couple of times you just worry. You don't want them to think I violated any sort of trust that we have. I remember I was doing a walk out with Doug Peterson and I know those coaches hate it they absolutely it's it's the worst time to get them if you're winning or if you're losing they're like shit just let me get in the locker room let me look at these stats I do not want to tell this girl what the hell I'm thinking because they don't want me to repeat it anyways I remember we were doing I don't think it was maybe it was a preseason game maybe it was an early season game with Doug Peterson Nick Foles just was not playing well And he saw me writing and I was walking and writing and I wrote word for word what he said. And I, you know, a lot of these guys, they know if they don't want it, they'll say, Hey, not for air. And also you, you have the wherewithal sometimes to be like, me, probably wouldn't like that. He saw me writing it. I reported it. I remember that week I was watching ESPN and Susie Colbert had him on live and she said, Aaron Andrews reported, you said this, and I died. I was like, oh my God. And I followed up. I followed up to coach. I followed up to Eagles PR. I just said, I hope he saw me writing. I asked my dad, my dad's been in this industry a long time. And my dad said, Aaron, if he had had a problem, you would have known. So I think it's things like that. I just don't want these people to think I violated or or take advantage of their trust or what the information they give us. Aaron, we've uh, we've been doing this pod for a little more than a year, and we've had. How's it going? We th- th- thank you. Uh, it's going. Good. John has his own. 
apparel brand. I mean, how much better can it go? <laughs> well, we've had a, a lot of really big gets. We've had like, you know, Shaquille <laughs> O'Neal. We've had uh, uh, Jimmy Pitaro. Yeah. My daughters, when they heard that you were coming on, they know you from Dancing with the Stars and you, you ah. sort of, you, you, you've gotten out. That They're very impressed with me right now. You're more famous a lot of times than the people that you interview. Uh, and that's something that you sort of grew into. How, how has that changed how you approach your, your interviews on camera? I think what's changed me a lot in interviewing players um, and coaches is A, marrying one, um, knowing you have a family at home, and B, becoming close with these guys and, and, and developing these relationships. You start to realize that um, they're more than just a piece of meat. And I'm saying that in terms of, you know, my husband would throw that around if a guy was hurt and it's like, well, why is he getting cut or scratched? And he's like, babe, at the, in, in, at the end of it, you're just a piece of meat. I mean, you know, with the, it, it's part of the business. A lot of these guys I learned early, you have families, you have shit going on at home as we've, as we've heard, you know, early this year. Um, they have lives too. And I, I do too. I mean, I, I was thinking about the last time we did a Packers Dallas game. I, I had just had my, I had just had massive surgery for cancer and no one knew my husband and my, my, well, he was my boyfriend at my time at the time, my dad and my husband were on the sidelines because they knew I shouldn't have been on my feet, but there was no way in hell I was missing Dak's rookie year uh, at, at Green Bay and Brett Favre's name was going in the ring at Lambeau. There's, I didn't give a shit. I had just had surgery on a Tuesday. Um, so you realize people have stuff at home. And um, I think that's kind of what has helped me so much. I remember, and I, and I don't even remember why I'm saying this, but Tony Romo, I worked one of his games that he broke his collarbone, one of the many. And I remember Dallas's PR had not confirmed that that had happened, but we had the video where he said to the trainer, it's broken. I know Candace Romo. Um, I also know what it's like to be a wife and watch your husband get picked up off the ground. And I just remember saying to Z, I do not want to report this until she is told. Um, so things like that, you treat them like human beings. A lot of times you get on calls with these guys. I've openly had fertility struggles. I know a lot of these guys are going through shit with their wives and their families and their kids and trying to have kids. A lot of times guys talk to me about it. Hey, my wife really appreciated you coming out and talking about IVF and things like that. You just peel back the curtain a little bit and know that they're they're really people, not just superstars. I also remember Thursday night football, Patrick Mahomes dislocating his knee um, on the field. And I've got to get Andy right then and there. And there was just a part of me that didn't want to be like, what do you do? But I know I had to. And I just said, oh, Andy, I am so sorry. And Andy said, he's going to be okay. And I there you go. How do you know he's going to be okay? Because they were able to get it back in. What happens now? So I almost feel like sometimes being a real person and not just third and four, what were you thinking? Who are you throwing to there? Did the guy run a wrong route? You kind of get more out of them sometimes. And I think it's almost a relief for them. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I try to be a real, John is also um, like that. No, no, in, in all sincerity though, I do think there's a human element, especially it's a relationship business, right? Mm -hmm. Like at the end of the day, you gotta, you have to be able to, go and talk to these people the following week and the week after, and those relationships are going to keep going. And this is kind of a different vein, but in terms of just overall, if you look at your career, this is a two-parter. What is the thing you're most proud of? Um, I'm most proud of the fact, and I always get really choked up about this, that just the respect, right? Um, from 
I can listen, no offense, to what you guys write about me and it can ruin my night. And I can listen to what people write on blogs. I, I came up in the age where the blogs were the thing, the dead spins, the big leads, the awful announcing, and that would ruin your day, you know? And then what people say on Twitter. But when I was awarded the Pat Summerall Award um, this past year and they did a video tribute and the three guys that spoke were Brady, Rogers, and Manning, and I bawled. Um, having the, like just those three guys to take time out of their day to say something about me. That's all I've ever wanted. I want the respect of those guys, all the players, the general managers, the coaches. You just don't want people to think you're there because I'm on TV and I get to talk to a six, five guy. That's not what this is about, you know? And I, I sat down with one of our executives the other day and I was just talking about the NFL and, and how much I love it. And he just said, it's so refreshing for me to hear that you know, doing a post-game interview means so much to you. Doing these sit-down interviews means so much to you because they do. I, I love it so much, and I, I I cherish the relationships and the respect that I've gained. And then if there's one do-over you could have in your career, <laughs> what would that be? Turner Sports. Man, I was <laughs> terrible. Um, no, I, you know, the Sherman thing always sticks out to me. Richard, let me ask you the final play. Take me through it. Well, I'm the best corner in the game. When you try me with a sorry receiver like Crabtree, that's the result you're going to get. Don't you ever talk about me. Who was talking about you? Crabtree, don't you open your mouth about the best. Or you, I'm going to shut it for you real quick. L.O.B. All right, before... And Joe, back over to you. The Sherman one, because I wish I just hadn't had that look on my face, but obviously it was one of the biggest post-game interviews I've ever had in my career. I think when he that just refresh because not everyone's probably just like the Michael well, Crabtree. Yeah. Well, what have like, you been under a rock? No, I'm yeah, kidding. Well, I mean, Joking. I guess it might not be, the, but that's the Michael Crabtree when yeah. he like just ripped Michael Crabtree to to pieces, and then uh, what did your look was what? And like I can't recall what your look was. <laughs> Well, my look was just, I remember when it happened. Did and you do that again, Aaron? Oh, yeah, yeah, oh my God, right? That's an everyday look for me. But I remember when it happened and I just thought to myself, this is awesome because no athlete, you know, behaves like this. You don't get the raw emotion like this ever. Most guys are just like, I want to, you know, it, we took it get play by play. It was our style of ball. Um, it, it was just cool. It was real. It was great. Um, so I, I really appreciated that. But I wish I hadn't looked like like such an amateur and 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 I turned into and I've told this many times because I knew it was so cool and because I'm such a sports fan and I just was like holy shit and my follow-up better be good because this is going to be everywhere I turned into like a five-year-old and it was like who was talking about you and I just should have been who was talking uh, who, who are you talking about because I knew who he was you know but it was just like my composure and I just turned into like a, a super fan at that moment. And that was really stupid. I think too, and, and what I try to tell, you know, women that want to get into this industry or even men, it's just, it's not that I didn't prep before. And I did, I was psycho about it. I, I prep more now than I ever did in college, which I know annoys my parents a bit. Um, maybe the way I, I prepped, I, I've I think I've kind of got it to a, a great kind of formula now, but listen, you learn as you go, right? You guys don't do the things that you did when you were younger, but um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm learning now more than ever to kind of sit back and enjoy the moments fourth and 10, you know, we're watching Rogers as their season is, is, you know, they're on their way to losing their fifth straight. I'm watching him, you know, try to march them down the field. And I'm like, this is, this is awesome. This is why you're here. 
Brady the other night, Mahomes. I'm just trying to learn to enjoy these a little bit more and not be so hard on myself and stressed out. You know, we have video with this pod, but it's mostly audio people listening. So the the look that Aaron gave a little bit ago. Oh, yeah. That's like the wide eyed like emoji look. That's it's what I would go the with. look That's that I give whenever I hear Andrew ask a question. Basically. Oh, yeah, sure. So you you mentioned uh, the Pat Summerall Award, and you mentioned that Brady was one of the uh, the, the guys that, that gave uh, went on camera and said nice things about you. How stoked are you to work with Tom Brady next year? Yeah, look, I mean, obviously when the news came out, everybody was like, wow, you know, it's, it seems like we never really know what he's up to um, come the off season. I feel like we are in week 10. I am trying so hard not to get this flu knock on wood that everybody's getting. And we've got a huge matchup this weekend. I'm going to give you one of these generic answers that athletes give me all the time. And I'm just taking it game by game and we're just worrying about us. You have no idea what's going to happen in the future. So, um, yeah, I'm just worried Andrew, about it. Aaron just gave us the game. I'll take a game by game. game, by game. We got to We're on to <laughs> Dallas Green Bay. But let me ask you this, though. When you guys have had meetings with Brady, I mean, I'm sure it's come up with you, Greg, and Kevin in terms of uh, when you're talking, you've had a few Brady games where you're kind of like, um, you know, from what I've heard, Greg's been pretty cool about it because it is kind of, that could be awkward, right? With uh, Brady in some regards, you know, kind of slated to take his job. Uh, and I think, like I've written and said, I think this could work out very well for Greg, uh, regardless of uh, Tom, what, what he does in terms of the future. He's only, you know, mid to late 30s. Uh, but, but like, how has that been? He's so young, by the way. Gosh, Greg Olson makes me feel so old. Our, I mean, they're both such professionals. Also, I don't know how much time you've spent with Olson. He's freaking hilarious. There are many times I'm like, I need you to stop. I have a full bladder. I don't, you know, need to put my pants in the middle of an airport right now. The guy is so funny and so much fun. Loves to crush a dinner too before games, pregame uh, the night before. So we enjoy that. They've been awesome. Um, you know, they've been nothing but funny and talking about, you know, honestly, where our conversations have gone is, you know, Greg saying, or Tom saying, well, hey, I tried to get you to come play with me, but you know, you didn't want to. So we're like, whoa, you never told us that. So it's really been stuff like that. Aaron, you're, you're uh, one of the most plugged in NFL reporters. I'm gonna ask you, to, I'm gonna put you on the hot seat here. You have to give an answer. I know. Uh, is, I know what this question is. If you get this answer correct, Aaron, because I saw this on If this is the question that's the last question here, I was going to be like, this is going to make me look so dumb. Is this no, you're not. This is my, I, I love this question from because John, this is John. This is John's brand. This is John's <laughs> brand. Go for Sunday it. Sunday ticket. Where's it going next year? Oh, so what did you just say? Sunday ticket? Yeah. Where's it going to go next year? I have no clue. Okay, I, have here's the other thing. You want to know something? I don't get to, I don't really, I don't know anything about Sunday ticket. I don't get to watch it. I don't understand what fans are talking about when they experience it. No offense to Sunday ticket, but I'm on a field and then I'm back on, you know, a plane watching the game on my phone. So I have no idea. Where do you guys want to see it go? Well, no, Andrew, I, no let's just see that, that Andrew, I got to say, in that answer, I heard Apple. That's what, that's what I heard in that answer. That, what did you hear? Well, no, I was going to give her three choices. I was going to hear Apple, Amazon, or uh, Tubi, which one do you think? Tubi. <laughs> I'll say Tubi because it helps Fox, right? There you go. Yeah, there's, hey. there's no chance for Tubi. I threw that one in there. Aaron, <laughs> this has been great. This has been great. Um, any last advice for John's uh, apparel brand? Well, okay, so yeah, I do. Um, is there, what do you want the theme, overall theme to be? Who are you trying to cater to? You know, a little urban chic, maybe, you know. Okay, okay. Who do you who do you want your audience to be? 
Uh, my audience is my wife of uh, 30 years. Okay, okay. That's, it. That's my and only audience. Would you like direct to consumer or are you thinking brick and mortar? Oh, brick and mortar. Yeah, that totally brick and mortar. I don't know if that's, that's, the right, if that's the right idea right now. Uh, I'll offline, I'll talk to you about brick and mortar, you know, direct to consumer. <laughs> if you're looking at the Kardashian model, that's what they've done and it really seems to work for them. So John, as you would understand, goal is here, big jet. Big jet, like the Kardashians, you know, yeah, out of Green Bay, all the things. It actually all I like does. It. I mean, I, we don't have to go too much further, but it actually does all come to what we talk about a lot with direct to consumer as compared to the brick and mortar. Uh, I'm not sure. I think, look, if I'm putting money down on, you know, the where by EA brand or the Oran by JO brand, <laughs> I think I'll go EA. I, gotta I don't be know. Urban Chic, down, I can I get on board. Uh, I can get on board with thing. Urban Chic. Well, Aaron, uh, thank you very much for taking the time, being the big get this week. A uh, million things going on all the time between uh, Sundays, the podcast with Carissa Thompson, and then your own, uh, you know, clothing line. And we appreciate you giving us time here on the podcast. Hey, coaches are changing the way they run on run during their halftime interviews because of my Calm Down podcast. Kyle Shanahan got the memo and he walked with me. Normally, he's a sprinter and I almost fell. I ran into Trent Williams. I barely got anything. I forgot what he told me because I was ducking people. Talked about it on the Calm Down podcast. San Francisco Rams game. He looked at me and he goes, I will walk. And I was like, you don't have to. I'm ready to record you. So calm <laughs> down. There you go. Taking the world by storm, you know? Good work. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Aaron. Appreciate you. Yeah. Yeah, Andrew, you mentioned this. Like the the, the lost years. T Turner. I, I like. Is it, I, I think I looked on our wiki before the interview. I don't think it was even on the wiki, was it? Yeah, you can't trust wiki necessarily. But yeah, I did not know about that. I really am a sports media dork. Like I know more about certain people's careers than I do like uh, friends and family's birthdays. And so <laughs> I was, I don't know where that came from, the Aaron Andrews. I got to like see if I can find some video of her doing some sidelines. She had some good stories there, but that was real good. Um, a lot of fun stories, a lot of good insight from Aaron Andrews. So we appreciate that. Let's go right into our call of the week. Call of the week. Andrew, you've been tweeting about this one. Uh, I thought it was fantastic at the time. I'll let you uh, do the intro on it. All right, game three of the World Series back in Philadelphia. Uh, Joe Davis, John Smoltz on the call. Uh, Fox, you, you, listen, we can't even, if you're listening audio-wise, you got to go to my Twitter and maybe scroll down, but because you need the video as well to really give it its justice. But this was probably the best TV of the year that I've seen. Uh, let's take a listen. I'll be kind of shocked if Bryce is not going to play sitting on a breaking ball. At some point, McCullers has to throw him fastballs to keep him honest. But Bryce is so good against off speed, and we know he likes to swing early and swing big. If he stays on the breaking ball and gets the one in the middle of the plate, loud noise. So you mentioned at some point he's got to throw him a fastball. He doesn't want to. He's only thrown one fastball to the left-hander all postseason. Does he change that up against this guy here? Two gone and a score this first inning. The colors to Harper. It's Yeah, you're so right about the video because it was everything uh, about the production uh, that, you know, it started on Harper. Uh, Smoltz was on point. Uh, Davis had a, had, a, had a good call. Most importantly, 
they got so lucky. I mean, that, 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 that happened to be a first pitch Harper just, you know, nails it. I mean, so, so uh, a lot of luck also goes into some of these best calls, right? A hundred percent. You know, you do the right thing 50 times, 48, 49 of the times Bryce Harper hits a single pops out, strikes out and you get no payoff. Uh, and so nobody notices, but you have to do it you know, they, they probably would have done the exact same thing 50 times. And then Bryce Harper came through. So it made it a magic moment. Uh, the Phillies couldn't finish uh, the series. It was kind of Bryce Harper. They kind of Houston took him out of the series after that. Uh, but that was tremendous from Fox sports uh, and really good TV. And you could hear it a little bit there, but if we let it play out, they let the pictures tell the story after a good call by Davis and then let the pictures tell the story. Um, and so uh, good producing, good directing uh, there by Fox. So that's going to do it. want to thank Aaron Andrews, our big get. As always, our producers, AC Wyatt and Chris Mason, who put everything together. Andrew, before we go, I got to give one shout out. It's to Doc Lou, Iowa. He commented on, uh, on our Apple page. Uh, he was the one who uh, who mentioned that you say irregardless, which is not a word. And I know why I like Doc Lowe. He's originally from Baltimore. So yeah, I there you go, Doc. I noticed that. We discussed it. And you're right. I haven't used, I used irregardless a few episodes ago. I haven't used it. It's coming to my brain. And I said, nope, Doc set me straight. So we appreciate him and all our listeners. Thanks for listening, everyone.